Welcome to Boiling Point. They're small, slimy, and most people find them delicious. I'm talking about oysters. Once the Sydney rock oyster inhabited large areas of Sydney Harbour. Those days are long gone, which is pretty tragic. Rock oysters provide the habitat for a large number of other marine species. Our guest studies them all and will tell us if the Sydney rock oyster is doomed or if there's still a glimpse of hope. Listen to the story in just a moment. Welcome back to Boiling Point, the weekly science show on Eastside 89.7 FM. I'm your host Kat and my guest is Dr. Rick Leon. Rick just completed his PhD in marine science at the University of New South Wales in Sydney and he spent most of his field work with wet feet researching oysters and their habitat. Welcome to the show Rick. Thank you very much Kat for having me. It's been a long time coming, uh, you know, uh, I've been shelled up in this oyster, hoping for an opportunity to have this interview. So I am very thankful because the world is my oyster. I've got a lot of things to share about oysters. <laughs> well, that's why I invited you here today, right? So I'm glad. Oh, and by the way, congratulations on finishing your PhD and being a doctor now. That's awesome. How does that feel? Thank you very much. It's actually, it's still really much a whirlwind. I got my degree awarded in October. And but I know I submitted my thesis at end of uh, uh of May, so the correction came very quickly with a degree. After four years and after this whole COVID pandemic lockdown, it's really really achievement by itself. So I'm still For sort sure. of pinching myself, you know. What I mean, I'm still all clammed up, so to speak, <laughs> with the with what has happened. So uh, it's been really a blessing. So I'm very very lucky to be talking to you and to share my pearl of wisdom. <laughs> that's awesome so um, Rick tell me do you actually like to eat oysters that is a very, very good question so first and foremost me being a Malaysian and of Chinese descent we mostly eat oysters but in terms of a sauce something called an oyster sauce I'm not supporting any brands but if you know this which is red in color which has a logo of a panda that's a very famous uh, brand which contains oyster sauce so do I really eat oysters very often no but in terms of a sauce it does for Chinese cooking, so and so forth. I do indulge with uh, oysters, but um, well, after needing to shuck about 10,000 of them for my PhD, mm -mm, mm -mm, that's done. <laughs> I, I don't think I can eat any more oysters um, after that. So I did try a couple after my, my PhD, but only not my own, not my own PhD work from oyster, farmed oysters because the oysters I work with are those that are grown naturally in estuaries and rivers so they are not the ones that you eat from the market but um you know with a couple of friends they want to give it a shot so so be it so yep i That's... uh i definitely uh do eat them but now not as much as I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny. So tell me I actually always wondered are they actually like in terms of um, their nutritional value, are they really good or is it just that people for some reason are crazy about them, but they're not really nutritious? Yeah, so shellfish in general, not just oysters, any mussels, and they're considered very sustainable because first and foremost, they are not, they grow abundantly, you know, uh, they're benthic, you know, they're bivalves and, you know, what you eat is actually pure protein, pure muscle uh, in that way. And of course, people say, you know, oh, it's an aphrodisiac, but I don't, I like, I personally don't see any effects. It, it, it has it, but I think why people... So you tried, right? But nothing happened. Yeah, I've tried, you know, but it's not exactly that, uh, you know, it, it has a salty, 
slurpy feeling. You know, it's not for everybody having that slime, but I think it's nice as a sustainable seafood in comparison to, you know, other uh, uh, other seafood sauces, you know, which are depleted because oysters can be grown anywhere when the water conditions are great, you know, and they, you know, it takes three years uh, before you can harvest one. And, you know, they are, they're sustainable, so to speak, you know, you're not really damaging much of the, the environment, especially if you're eating oysters from oyster farms. So, yeah, they are really sustainable. People say it's an aphrodisiac, but for me, I just see it as an alternate, alternative seafood sauce. So oysters are filter feeders, right? So that means whatever's in the water, they filter out and incorporate it basically in their in their organism. So um, I guess that makes it a bit critical in terms of pollutants. So does that mean depending on where the oysters come from, it might be a bit of a health risk to eat them as well? Exactly. That's why you don't go around eating oysters just going around Sydney Harbour going to the pillar, the pilings, and just shark oysters. Because oysters, um, the, the oysters that you eat that comes from the farm market, they are all grown in areas, in estuaries, in rivers where they are clean. They are mostly free of pesticides, good water quality. So good. So oysters are indeed what we call, um, they, they, can, they are bioaccumulators because they filter feed. So throughout the time, whatever water they encounter, the nutrients, the heavy metals that they absorb can go through. So, the oysters that you uh that you eat from the markets from the supermarkets uh they are all grown in areas where the water quality is good you know and um they are not susceptible to these sort of uh toxins so and so forth but the ones that i work with or the ones that you find in the mid uh on on industrial artificial structures along the coastlines those oysters I definitely do not want to, I would not recommend you to eat. Would you die from eating one or two of them? Not really, but you know, I wouldn't go around shucking them because, you know, I'm not sure if you have any descendants left if you would eat a lot of them. So anyway, any kind of um, uh, bivalves, be it mussels, be it oysters, uh, that are grown in the wild, I would definitely think twice before you shuck them to eat as, as hungry as you are or as appetizing as they look. Okay, that's that's a good advice. Have you ever cut yourself in the hand or your finger when shucking oysters? Absolutely, I have. In fact, my very first fieldwork, the oysters that I work with are actually oysters that I found in the middle of rivers or estuaries, all right? So what consists of an oyster reef is basically a reef or uh, oyster uh, aggregations of many oysters that grow on rocks, on artificial structures, on um even on muddy sand beds where they are as big as uh, the footy field or it can be even as small as like you know a table so and so forth so they are just one oyster that has grown and uh to another oyster and self accumulate and aggregate so i work with them and we call these aggregations of oysters oyster reefs so they are basically the temperate cousins of your coral reefs they are just in colder water but they support a lot of uh, ecosystem services. So I work with those. So not, not necessarily the ones which you find along the jetty pilings or either along the hardened structural coastline. So ones that I work with are found in the middle of rivers or close to estuary, mouse, so and so forth. So I so in to continue that, I did do have my very first field work. I forgot how much oysters I will be stepping on. <laughs> and I obviously cut myself several times because I was wearing shorts 
and I thought it was not going to be muddy, but I forgot that oysters actually can grow on muddy areas. Sometimes you actually step on them, you lose a bit of balance. So I do have cuts, but but that's why you don't not any anybody should any public should go on an oyster reef, even when accessible during low tide, because they are very sharp. You need to wear gloves when you handle them, when you shark them. So yeah, it's uh and they take a bit longer time to heal because these organisms they have very sharp bivalve surfaces, but the calcite uh within these uh these cuts, it um uh, somehow with the constituents, it takes longer for the recovery of these cuts apart mm. from giving deep wounds. So I definitely wouldn't recommend you to go near these areas. They are a very fragile ecosystem, but an important one. Yeah, that's that's a perfect segue to my next question. So who is it? Like, what are the other species that live on oyster reefs? So an oyster reef not just only supports oysters themselves, but they also have other invertebrates. So we find crabs, shells, different gastropods, you know, different forms of, we have worms, you know, and all these invertebrates may not seem very important, but then they are being fed by juvenile fish. You know, we have seen kingfish around. We even seen juvenile groupers actually around these oyster reefs as well. They support the fisheries, these recreational fishing species uh, around these oyster reefs. So it's not necessarily this, the organisms or the uh, invertebrates that lives amongst them, but the ones that hover and feed around uh, these oyster reefs. So they support a high array of biodiversity and really, it's important in terms of supporting the whole estuarine ecosystem. And together with other ecosystems that are next to them, surrounding them, like seagrasses or either mangroves, you know, they really come together as a whole to support the estuarine ecosystem and the biodiversity. So not just on the oyster reefs itself, but surrounding the oyster reefs and on top of the oyster reefs, it's a very important estuarine habitat. Cool, that makes sense. And what's the conservation status of those oysters you studied in the rivers and estuaries? All right, so the species that I work on is called Sydney rock oysters. So as the name says, it's actually a very iconic species. So it's found within this region around the east coast of Australia. It's endemic to, to Australia. And uh, as it stands, the whole, there's only 8% of cover left along the coast of New South Wales. Actually, most of whole of Australia, and for this particular species, only eight percent left. So it's actually very critically endangered. Um, many many years ago, during the eighteen eighties, there are records of high vast levels of these oyster reefs surrounding the coastline. But you know, with the colonization of the European colonization, and with industrialization, urbanization, and also the degradation of water, uh, the of water quality in estuaries, um. Uh, you know, the modification of estuaries, so and so forth, and the pollutants coming from the agricultural runoffs, the number of oysters, the, the oyster cover has uh, decreased tremendously. So what's ever left is only 8%. It's definitely considered, it's functionally extinct from a global status. So that's where my PhD comes in to try to inform the spatial scales in terms of, of these existing remnant oyster reefs uh, before we can do any restoration of these species. So it's basically about what makes a good oyster habitat and um, how you can make it really nice for the oysters so that they like to grow somewhere. Is it is that about it? Yeah, it's also in terms of like, um, so so I think where, where my PhD comes in is really to look into 
the what sort of spatial skills drive uh, their existing status quo. Because there are only 8% left, but we actually have no information of how well are they doing. So we, we, we can look at them and we can just sample uh, oyster, uh, oyster beds, these oyster reefs, sample their biodiversity, sample the amount of baby, uh, uh, baby oysters recruits that may get, sample the amount of uh, density, the existing density of these oysters. But what we do not know is, are they equal across space, across time, across different patches of oyster reefs? You know, from a landscape scale, are they different in terms of different estuaries in New South Wales regionally? So my PhD comes in to inform which spatial scales might be important. So if we were to do oyster reef restoration, which are, there's already been being done right now, the, there's project plans being done, pilot projects being done now, that we can focus on the spatial scales, right? For example, if having larger vast area of, of oyster reefs, does it really increase the amount of optimal amount of biodiversity? You know, that is something which we want to consider because maybe a size of a one hectare oyster reef that is being restored may actually harbor the same effects, the same amount per kilometer square in comparison to like a 10, 100 hectare, you know? So it's all about understanding the optimal scales that, that we want to do in order for oyster reef restoration. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, so would you say pollution is really the main factor that, that threatens the oysters or are there other aspects? I mean, you said already kind of urbanization, obviously, if they lose their habitat, then the oysters can't grow there anymore. But is there anything else or is this really the most most important threat they're facing? So the, the threat definitely, what really led to the, the, the decline of oyster reefs in uh in, in in whole of Australia, not just the species that I work with is number one, it was due to um there are basically three factors that came about uh with it. The first one really was the uh modernization of the landscape, you know. What I mean the all the estuaries being modified, the coastlines being modified, so there's a lot of destruction. Number two was definitely uh over harvesting. So uh, prior to the colonization of uh, the European people uh, coming to Australia, the Aboriginals would harvest them, but you know they were in small copious amounts. You know, not not in a high, um, you know, large scale uh, uh, harvest levels. But you know, obviously, uh, with uh, the colonization and the increase of population, they were harvested. Uh, and here's a fun fact: a lot of people think that they were harvested for aquaculture, but for food. But no, actually. So if we were to walk around Sydney Rock, uh, no, sorry, if we were to walk around the old streets, the old buildings of Sydney, and if you see these small little blocks of old buildings, and you see shells in between the these books, because Sydney Rock oysters were most of them were actually harvested as part of as as a, as part of a mortar in order to fill in between the bricks. All right, they are part of the they they were they were harvested for lime, and they're harvested for to create mortar in between these bricks. So, so to speak, Sydney Rock Oyster is actually the building blocks of <laughs> Sydney. So if you see these old buildings, you see shells in between. Like, yeah. So a lot of these buildings, even up to Newcastle, you can see them. These old, old, old colonial buildings were basically made of Sydney Rock Oyster. So they were not necessarily harvested for eating, but they also were harvested actually uh, for the construction of buildings. So that's oh, a wow. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's a, 
that's really cool. I had no idea. I did not know that at all. Well, I guess yeah. you would hope that when um, the people back then, when they harvested them, they would also make mm -hmm. use of the actual meat, right? So that they wouldn't yeah. just uh, waste that. But um, mm -hmm. wow, okay. I guess that makes a lot of sense that they harvested even more to to build their yeah. houses then. Yep. And then the third factor, sorry, before I forget, was definitely water pollution. Pollution decline was the biggest thing that happened. So right around the, the late 70s, late 80s, with the boom of agricultural industries, a lot that run off because of a lot of the, the inland sort of flow of agricultural runoff, the water quality went down and that really killed a lot of oysters. So even if they could come back again, but the water pollution really does affect them. And that's very evident for my PhD where I find between different estuaries, estuaries that are more turbid where the water quality is lower, I have fewer densities of oysters, fewer, um, uh, the biodiversity is lower in terms of the epifauna that's found among the oysters and also there are fewer oyster recruits or oyster babies on these oysters. So water quality definitely affects it, has affected some of these reefs. So those three things I mentioned. What else is it that you found in your research? What's important for the oysters to feel, make themselves at home? So um, what we found was that, you know, um, the oysters do not necessarily, number one, it's, it's very dependent on regional environmental setting. So, for example, let's say you have a you have an estuary or you're in a river where there's turbid. It's not all doom and gloom, you know. It's not like the oysters will shell up and like, oh, yep, I do not want to live there. They still persist. They still are able to persist in turbid, in poor water condi conditions, but not as as much as their other counterparts. But what it goes to show is that there's a bit of resilience, uh, in in where they can live in. But maybe there's a case of, you know. Uh, if we want to do restoration in these sites, maybe it's actually good to focus on these areas because they're, if they're able to tolerate so much different environment, lower environmental quality, that means they are actually sort of a resilient species, you know? So how this research can really in, in, uh, inform restoration is number one, locations where you can put them, you know? It really depends on the goal of restoration. Like, for example, if you want to restore a place where you want to increase the biodiversity of ecosystem, you know, and you don't want to deal with, for example, low water quality, low water sedimentation, then maybe you want to choose an estuary with a pre-existing oyster reef that, you know, has high density, has higher biodiversity. So it really depends on the target. But for example, let's say you think like, oh, I want to actually increase the water quality because these oyster reefs are filter feeders number one you can definitely try to stop the uh influx of you know agricultural runoff from the inland area but at the same time maybe have these oyster reefs you know plant these artificial oyster reefs that help to filter feed this area so they as a whole the estuary when it goes into the ocean uh you know the the, the water would be clean um because oyster reefs, as I know it, is basically the kidney to the kidney and the lungs to the ocean. You know, oh, we nice. really need them in order to, to, yes. to filter water. So they are natural, they are their natural filtering system, you know, what I mean, before we go into the ocean. So the in, in any sort of conditions, the more they are in these estuary systems, the more they filter feed, they help to they're they are, they are basically kidneys to the oceans. 
I love that. That's such a great analogy. That's awesome. So, um, but importantly, right, as you said, if you use them as kidneys, don't eat them. Yep, <laughs> Just exactly. leave them alone and let them do their job. <laughs> exactly. So the ones that you eat during Christmas, I know it's a big delicacy. This summer, feel free to eat them, buy it from the market, but don't try to go and save some money and, and shock yourself because I can't guarantee if you live for another 20 more years, let's say you were to eat a lot of them and shut them and from the peers or from the pilings. That uh, makes a lot of sense. Yes, good point. So do you think on the basis of your research, there will be restoration projects in the future? Yeah. So that's a very good question. Thank you very much. So what happened is that there's actually already oyster reef restorations projects being done as, as pilot studies through, for example, the Department of Primary Industries based in Port Stevens. They already have a couple of artificial oyster reefs which they've already planned out they put it out there already so that has been done as a pilot study so together with the knowledge that I've given for my PhD in collaboration with the Nature Conservancy of Australia TNC there are other pilot studies being done in other rivers in other estuaries so it is definitely informing in terms of the amount of shapes and sizes uh, that's required for the artificial this uh, oyster reef restoration at the same time, there's also definitely plans to potentially put these uh, artificial oyster reefs in Sydney Harbour, which they help to go and filter water. But, you know, that obviously all depends on the suitability, the location, you know, um, because the species that we talk about are intertidal species. So, you know, um, obviously a lot of our coastlines are in Sydney Rock Harbour, you know, they are also full with uh, recreational beaches. So we do not want too many people encountering uh, artificial oyster reef during low, low tide. <laughs> and they'll be like, oh, what is this thing doing there? You know what I mean? But um, definitely my PhD helps to inform the different shapes and sizes that we can do in terms of artificial, uh, building artificial oyster reefs in order to help uh, filter feeding, to help filter filtration in the Sydney Harbour and the other estuaries. That's awesome. Do you have any other fun facts about oysters for us that we haven't talked about yet? Sustainable seafood. You know, I know it's not everybody's cup of uh, tea or other cup of, of shell that you want to eat because you might be interested in prawns, but they're really sustainable. Could be a good choice. If, let's say you want to forego any kind of protein, any red meat, you know, it's sustainable. Thanks so much for being my guest on the show, Rick. Thank you very much. Well, the world is your oyster, so make use of all the knowledge that you have and don't make yourself be clammed up and learn more about oyster reefs and all the different type of shellfish industry. I'm not shellfish with my knowledge, so you don't be selfish yourself. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Thanks for listening to Boiling Point. Bye for now.